Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. So good to, it's just so good to see all of you, and I hope you're, you're doing well. If you can, at this time, I'd just like to invite you and every one of you just to let's grab our Bibles or open your Bible app, and let's turn to um, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 1. So we're in Mark, chapter 2, verse 1. You can also get out your Bible study outline if you so desire, and just take notes and follow along. So... Um, we're in this series that we have entitled Influencers, and uh, last week was our first week, and what we determined is we said that an influencer is simply an individual who has the power to affect the way another person thinks or acts. And so we said also last week that if you are a Christian, if the Lord has saved you, then you have been called to influence others, right? We are not to be a people who have the world influence us. We are to be a people who influence the world. Jesus um, calls it salt and light. And so we're to be living as influencers, um, salt and light, wherever the Lord has placed us around this area in the city and where you work at. And so we began last week and we looked at the power of influence. And so Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the influence of friendships. The influence of friendships. Um, maybe you're aware of this. Maybe you're not aware of this, but your friends have a strong influence on you. And likewise, you have a strong influence on your friends. I was reading this. This is last week. Uh, one author said it this way. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's true. Um, but the Bible does say some very similar things. I want to share some verses with you. Um, Proverbs 22 says it like this. Check this out. Make no friendship. So, so this is, this is a, an imperative, a command. With a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So Proverbs says, hey, 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 don't, don't, don't make friendships with someone who's angry because you too might become angry. 1 Corinthians says, 15 says something very similar. It says, do not be deceived, okay? So what that means is there's a tendency that perhaps some of us are deceived. It's saying, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals, 
All right? So, in other words, listen, you got some bad friends. If the majority of the people around you are poor in character, poor in what they do and they think and all this stuff, there's a great likelihood that you too will follow suit. Once again, this isn't rocket science. We know this to be true. Who you hang out with, who you spend time with matters. Those you are friends with is not a small thing. I've seen, I've, I've, I was thinking on this. I've seen this in different countries, in different cultures, and in different languages. It doesn't matter where I have been at, but always this has rolled out, worked out. Godly men and godly women hang out with godly men and godly women. I'm not saying that's all they hang out with. What I'm saying, they got some deep godly friends. And I've also seen this at work in many different places. Clowns seem to hang out with clowns. It's true. Deep calls to deep, shallow calls to shallow. And we're going to look a whole lot like the people we spend our time with. I've got some examples. I was thinking about examples. If the majority of the people you are friends with don't attend church, there's a high probability that you don't put a lot of importance on attending church, right? Like, like if your friends, if you got a bunch of friends who don't read their Bible, there's probably a very good chance you're not a deep Bible reader either. Well, here's the cool thing. You can reverse engineer this. You can. Like, let's say you're someone, you say, I don't read my Bible a lot. I want to read my Bible. You go out and you get some friends who read their Bible. Let me tell you something. You're going to start reading your Bible. You can work it that way. I've seen it in my life. Like, 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 you want to be a generous person? Start hanging out with generous people. Your friends influence you, all right? They absolutely influence you, and you influence your friends. And so today, we're going to look at one man, actually more than one man, but one man specifically who has one big problem. he got a big problem, but by God's grace, he is blessed, and he's got four serious godly friends who are going to help him out. And I want you to know right now, in your life, when the cards are down, and it's going to happen to all of us, it's good to have some godly friends. They're worth the investment. So let's get into this. We're going to see this. And there's two, there's two overarching questions that I want us to be asking. Because here's what I think. I'm pretty certain of this. As we're going through this passage, some friends are going to come up in your mind. I really believe that. And so as this is happening... As the Lord is prompting you to think on people and think about things, because he does that, I want us to be thinking about two questions. One, am I like the friends in this passage? Two, are my friends that I hang out like the people in this passage? That's the two, two questions, all right? So let's get into it. This is, a, this is an altogether glorious text, and uh, let's get into it. Mark 2, verse 1, first thing we're going to see is... Um, the curious spectators. The curious spectators. Let me read verse 1. Here we go. And when he, the he there is, is Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was, was home. Okay, here's what's going on here. Um, Jesus, when he was in his Galilean ministry, he kind of used Capernaum as his home base. Capernaum was where Andrew and Peter were, and most likely what would happen is, is Jesus would stay at their house, okay? So what Jesus would do is this. He would go out to the Galilean villages, and he would preach the gospel. He would proclaim the kingdom, and he'd do that for a month or who knows how long. 
And then after some time of this ministry, he would come back to Capernaum and he would stay at this home. Like I said, probably Andrew and Peter's home. So that's what's going on here. Jesus has been out. He's been preaching. He's been proclaiming. Now he's come back to Capernaum. And so as soon as he arrives, it tells us that all the people in the town, in the city, they start saying, hey, Jesus is here, right? Jesus is here. Jesus had to return. Let me say this real quick. It is always appropriate to tell people where Jesus is at if you so happen to know where he is, right? Like you don't keep that information to yourself. You don't. And it's always appropriate. The most loving thing you can do is tell people about Jesus. And so it amazes me. And I was thinking on this. We're going to talk about this more in a moment. But it amazes me how we can become intimidated and not tell someone the greatest news we know. But that's not what's going on here. Jesus comes to town. People say, hey, Jesus is in town. Verse 2. Here's the result of that. And many were gathered together. So they hear and they start coming together. I'm guessing this is Andrew and Peter's house. So that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. All right. So... And kind of, we're painting a picture here. The painter's getting painted here. Like, 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 like they all come in, they hear. No, it's not like today, nobody's sending a text saying, hey, I'm going to come over, right? They're just coming over. They're just filling the house up. It's completely full. The picture is of a house that is so full of people, right? They're just pressed in. People in the windows, people at the doors. Just, it's just crammed full of people. By the way, there's no electricity. There's no fans. There's none of this stuff. And then outside the house, if you picture it, what's probably going on is you got more people outside. Maybe you got some kids running around and playing, but there's dust, and it's just kind of all this chaos going on. But to be sure, inside this house, it is just so packed and full of people. And I was thinking on this myself. I don't know. Have you ever been in a house that is just so full of people that you could not even fit one more person in? I have. I'm going to tell you, I have. I have on several occasions, and I just want to let you know from my perspective, it's never been all that enjoyable. It's not. Um, It's hot. It's sweaty. It's hard to breathe. And you're sitting there, and you're like, man, I don't want anyone to touch me. And someone's sweat will drip on you. I remember, and that's what I imagine is going on here. I remember when I was... um, First time we were in Africa, in Mwanza, the western part of Tanzania, working among the Sukuma people, okay? And so um, I was invited, my wife and I were invited to go to a wedding. And the Sukumas, man, the Sukumas, and, and by the way, I'm guessing from what I understand, Charity and I are honorary Sukuma, but um, this is one thing I don't share with the Sukuma. The Sukuma like to put a lot of people in a room, especially if it's a wedding. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the wedding. But here's what they did to me, guys. They said this to me. This is what they did. Because I'm thinking I'm going to go, I'm going to leave as soon as I can. They tell me, they go, hey, Travis, would you say a few words at this wedding? And you're like, oh, man, that means i got to stay at least to that point. And so I asked them, I go, so when am I going to speak? They say, you're the last one speaking. Uh, but it's not that enjoyable. It's so, people all around. And that's what's going on here. And let me tell you, every time I've been in a situation where the room is so full that not a single person, one additional person can fit in, I can guarantee you this, something important is always going on. And that's what's going on here, something very important. And guys, I want you to check this out. In this room, everybody's packed in. It's hot, it's sweaty, there's no ceiling fan, there's nothing like that. In the middle of this, what do we see Jesus doing? 
preaching. He's not preaching anything. He's preaching the word. Because that is why he came. Make no mistake. That's what he's came and that's what he's doing. So that's the picture. That's what we see. That's what it's describing. But there's something else additional going on in that room. You can't see it, but you can feel it. There's this little thing that I like to call tension. There's tension in this room. Why? Luke 5, verse 17 tells us that there's Pharisees and there's teachers of the law also in that room. So like when they heard that Jesus was coming, the haters say, we want to be there too because we want to catch him. So that's the picture. You've got these, these, these things. In verse 6, we're going to get to this in a minute. In verse 6, it says the scribes were in the room and it says they were sitting. It's amazing. you got the Pharisees. you got the scribes. What are they doing? These guys, they got seats of honor. Everybody else is all squashed, standing. Not the Pharisees, not the scribes. They're there. And they're there to hear Jesus say something wrong. And that's what's going on. That's the setup. And that's this room. There's fire in the air. You got all these people pushed in. All right. Now let's move on to verse 3. That's kind of the picture painted. Next thing I want us to see is what I would call the crippled sinner. The crippled sinner. All right, we got the picture. Now we're going to get the story. Come on, guys. This is good stuff, man. And. I love that word, and. It's that transition. You got the picture, and. Check this out. They came bringing to him, that's Jesus, a paralytic carried by four men. All right. Now, now it's getting interesting. Now it's getting interesting, right? You got this man. He got a big problem. He's in a condition that makes him absolutely helpless to care for himself or to carry himself. He is completely dependent upon friends, upon others. And by God's grace, he is blessed to have four friends. And these guys are real friends because they know, they know. They may not know a lot, but they know that their buddy who is a paralytic, he need to meet Jesus. He need to meet Jesus, right? And he can't get there on his own. So what are his friends going to do? They're going to do anything they can to bring him to Jesus. They want to help him. So they carry him. They carry their friend to Jesus. So I want to pause here and I want to ask you this question because I've been asking myself this question. When your life conspires in such a way that you are falling away from Jesus, either because you are in unrepentant sin or you are blind or you're just drifting, do you have friends that will come up to you and point you to Jesus? Do you have friends that will carry you to Jesus? Or do you have friends who do not care if you're drifting away from Jesus? This is a question we need to ask ourselves. We got friends like this. Let me ask you another question. Are you, this is a question. I want you to think upon this. Are you a friend that if you see another one of your friends drifting away from Jesus, involved in sin or whatever, are you the type of friend who will go up to them and help them and point them and just talk to them and to Jesus, point them to Jesus? Are you that type of friend? Will you do that? Man, let's be honest. Because I've had to be honest with myself. I'd imagine there's a great many of us in this room today 
But you got a friend that you know has drifted. Maybe they're involved in sin. And all you need to do is send them a text to encourage them. But yet you haven't done that. Hey, listen, I'm guilty. You know, when we sit there, we go, because I've done this. I did this last week. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, man, if I text that guy, I'm just going to make him uncomfortable. You know, the Lord pressed on my heart. He said, Travis, make him uncomfortable. Is he your friend? Yes, he's my friend. Then be a friend to him. And that's these guys. That's these guys. Like, their friend can't get to Jesus. He needs to see Jesus. So, yeah, it's uncomfortable. You got four guys going to carry him to see Jesus. We got to be people who are friends like this, right? These guys do more than send a text. I think some of you actually probably know a friend that if you called them this week and invited them to church, they'd be here next week. And I want to encourage you to do that. But check out, let's keep going because it keeps, it keeps it's so, these men, these four friends, they're good. Look what happens. They got, I, so they got this paralytic, they got this bed, they're all holding on to it. And it says, and when they could not get near him, that's Jesus, because of the crowd, look what these guys do. They removed the roof above him, that's Jesus, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Come on now. That's astounding. I don't know, maybe you've read this before and you're like, it's not that astounding. But I'm telling you, that's absolutely astounding. Who does that for a friend? You read that and you're like, you've got to be kidding me. These guys are insane. Picture it. Picture it. You've got, you got, you got four struggling men, each on the corner of this bed, right? And they're carrying their friend. They're going to go into the house. But there's people all outside the house. Okay? There's people all outside the house. And, and, and they're trying to get in and the people won't let them. They push them away. They say, no, you can't get in here. And you got the friends. you got to imagine they're sweating. I don't know how much this paralytic guy laid, but still, it's, it's heavy. You're carrying somebody. I don't know how it all went down, but at some point, I guess, they laid the, 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 the stretcher down. I don't know. And maybe they were thinking, well, what can we do now? Like, we can't get into the house. The people won't let us. What can we do now? We have tried our best. And I don't know. I don't know what happened, but at some point, one of them said, hey, I got an idea. One of them had to say it. You know it. And let me tell you something. You want one of those friends. Hey, I got an idea. Let's uh, just hear me out. Guys, hear me out. Let's climb that house. Let's dig a hole in the roof. And let's drop him in from above. That's a curry you want to roll with. And evidently, they all agreed on this. They all came to the same conclusion. And so this might be the right course of action. And so they do it. They do it. It's the craziest thing you ever heard of. Really, it is. And how many of you be willing to do that for a friend? I mean, think about it. You got to think about this. When they're climbing up on that house and they're carrying this guy, when they're digging in the roof, people would have been pointing at them. People would have been laughing at them. People would have been saying, you are crazy. This is ridiculous. And church, please hear me. It is ridiculous. Unless you know who's on the inside, right? I love it. It is. It's ridiculous. Unless you know Jesus. 
I pray we'd be a people who do a lot of ridiculous things because we know Jesus. Amen. Come on, man. That's what we got to do, and that's what they do. So many of us, I think, are afraid. We live in fear or whatever to tell people about Jesus because we are so afraid that they're going to what? Make fun of us. Laugh at us. Ridicule us. I just want to let you know, and I tell myself the same thing, that when we do that, we are forfeiting joy. We're forfeiting joy. Trying to impress people that don't love us or love Jesus. At any rate, these guys do it. They get up there. I don't know, man. They get up there. They dig a hole. Think about this. Think about this. No, think about this. Let's imagine, imagine you on the inside, and Jesus just preaching. And you're just listening to Jesus. Oh, this is awesome. I know it's tight in here. We got Jesus. And all of a sudden you hear, you look up, like, what's that? Then all of a sudden dirt starts falling on your head. And you're like, what is this about? Jesus still just preaching. Jesus don't care. He got something to say. He's going to say it. He's God. Right? He keeps going. And all of a sudden dirt falls down and a ray of light just shoots through. And I guess these guys poke their heads down and go, hey, Someone's coming down. I mean, I don't know. And then they let him down. It's an amazing picture. When I thought about this, I've really been thinking about these four friends. I've been thinking about them, one, because I want friends like that, and two, I want to be a friend like that. And I've come up, and I believe, and, and I hope that this is helpful. I have found, I think, three qualities that these four men had that we need to have as a friend, and I hope our friends have. And I just want to walk through this because it's, it's really helped me. One, I would say their faith was persistent. Right? Their faith is persistent. When they got their friend on that stretcher, there was absolutely no stopping them. When they came to an obstacle, none of them said, well, the door is closed, I guess it's not the war, Lord's will. No, they persisted. And it leads me to something I want to talk about just a moment. I have noticed, I think in the evangelical church, I guess maybe specifically in the south, I don't know, um, people like to say things like, the Lord closed the door so I can't go through it, or the Lord opened the door so I have to go through it. Now, that's what I call kind of closed door, open door theology. And I understand what many people mean when they say that, or some people. But I've also seen it prolifically abused. Oftentimes I hear people say that the Lord closed a door simply because things became really difficult. Like they don't want to keep persisting, right? They don't want to keep trying. They don't want to keep pushing. So instead of saying it's hard, they quit, and they don't want us to investigate, so they say, the Lord closed the door. But my challenge is this. Did he? Did he close the door? He might have. Or did it just get difficult? I mean, these guys could have easily said when they went up to that house, the Lord closed the door. Maybe the Lord just said, you need to try another way. Maybe the Lord just saying, you need to pray a little harder. I don't know. 
But just because you think or it gets difficult, it doesn't mean that the door is closed. Now, the Lord does close doors. We need not be a people tapping out, blaming it on the Lord simply because things got difficult. Amen. Second, I've seen this too, and I hope you hear me with grace and love. We've got to be careful. Someone's come up to me before and said, the Lord opened the door, and they're like, so I had to go through it. But here's the curious thing. They were actually sinning doing it. I'm like, no, that ain't the Lord, man. Just because the door opened don't mean God opened it. That's why you got to pray. you got to seek wise counsel. I'm sitting there. Man, I can't get into this too much, but I'm sitting there and someone's saying, the Lord opened the door for me to do this certain thing, but my parents say it's not wise to do. My friends say it's not wise to do, and my pastors are saying I shouldn't do it, but the Lord opened the door. No, he did not. That's not a door. That's not a Lord opening that door. Be careful. Be careful. But not these guys. They're persistent. Let's be a persistent people. Next, we see their faith was also creative. It's creative. Undoubtedly, I would imagine that as they're lowering that man down through that hole in that roof, someone probably thought, why didn't we think of that? Right? There's always someone. Why didn't we think of that? The answer is because they did not believe and have the passion that these men did. And they didn't. There's always going to be someone say, why didn't I think about that? Why? Because you, st you stopped outside. You stopped outside when it got difficult and it got hard. Sometimes you got to be inventive. Sometimes you got to try things that perhaps you haven't tried before. Never sin, but I'm telling you. I'm sending, I've seen it in different countries, among different tribes and different people. Sometimes you just got to be inventive. And finally... I've thought about this one as well, and I'm going to share some of my thoughts with you. And, um, well, their faith was sacrificial. And I want to talk about this, and this may be a little difficult. Um, think about this. Somebody had to pay for that roof, or someone had to fix it. They, they did. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some labor. It's going to take some expense. Church, I would say a faith that brings Christ's power and work into the world is a faith that will pay the price. Amen. And there's a price to be paid. And here's what I want to talk about. There's believers that I run into who say they want, they desire for the Lord to do a mighty work and they want to be a part of it. Yet they tap out as soon as the cost becomes higher than they're willing to. To pay. And I'm going to give you an example of something I've run into. My, my, my point is not to offend, but um, it is, it's truth. So it, it may, because sometimes truth does. And I'm sorry, because it's true for me as well. But I've run into some Christians, people I love. These are people I love. And you love them too. And um, there's maybe a Christian song that they love, right? I'm using this as an example. Um, there's the Christian song. I'm not hating on the song. I'm just going to tell you. There's a song called Oceans, and it's by um, what? Um, Hillsong, is that correct? If I'm wrong, let me know, all right? But they'll say something like this. The lyrics, here's the lyrics. I'm just going to tell you this is the lyrics. Here's what they'll say, something like this. Pastor Travis, I just want the spirit to lead me where trust is without borders. I want to walk upon the waters wherever God would call. That's what they'll say. Pastor Travis, I love the song. I just want to go wherever God will call. 
cool. Here's what I like to ask them lovingly. How often did you attend church last week, last month? And they will reply sometimes something like, well, I went twice last month. And I inform them that is not going where the Lord would have you go. It's not. Like the Lord's clearly told every believer not to forsake the assembly. So you're sitting there and you're telling me your heart's desire is to go wherever God will lead you, yet he's leading you to church every weekend and you're not doing it. He's leading you to serve. He's leading you to be a part of this church. He's leading you to use your talents and your gifts here. I mean, this is foundational stuff. Now, this is foundational. If you're not doing the foundational stuff, how in the world are you going to be? Listen, listen, listen. It's one thing. It's great, and I love it, and I've done it before. You're sitting there, and you're, 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 like you're in your car. I'm in my car, and the song comes on, and I'm singing it. Lead me the borders. I want to go wherever you lead me. God, I'm going to do everything you want me to do. I'm singing. I'm loving it. It's emotional. Then the weekend comes. It's time for church, and you tap out. I'm not going. What's the, you're just singing in the car. You're going to do whatever. You're like, God, I'll, I'll go to the end of the earth for you. But you know what I won't do? I'm not going to go to church. It doesn't add up. Amen. Church, it doesn't add up. And these guys, there's a, there's a cost. I think a lot of people, and I get it, and I've been here before, but I think some of us tap out simply because it's hard. And I want to make sure I say this correctly because I want to make sure you understand it correctly. It can be hard. It can. Don't be any, have any delusion that it's always easy. It can be hard. These guys were persistent. They were creative. And they were sacrificial. I pray that I'm a friend like that. And I pray you have friends like that. Let's keep going. Let's see what Jesus does. What does Jesus do with these crazy dudes? Verse 5. And when Jesus saw their, look at it church, their faith what faith? That's the faith I just talked about. Persistent, creative, sacrificial. He says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Pause. I'm going to tell you right now. We could have a whole sermon on this. We're not going to. This is theologically deep. First word, Jesus says, son. Right now, he's, that's the declaration. This, 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 this guy has just been saved. God never calls someone a son or a daughter unless they are, in fact, saved. Jesus done went up and saved this man. And what are the results of salvation? What's the result of salvation? Your sins are forgiven. That's what he says. Son, I declare to you, we have this right relationship now. I have forgiven you of your sins. It's tremendous. Picture it. Picture it. You got these guys rolling. There's a rope coming down with people. There's a one person, people yelling, dirt is flying. You got these, these, you got these Pharisees, you got these scribes are trying to dust themselves off. It's absolutely crazy. And Jesus is there and he is unfazed. He is absolutely unfazed. He looks at this guy. I think the guy's been lowered and he's looking him eye to eye. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Don't miss this. This is one of the craziest things to me. Nobody even asked Jesus to forgive sins. No, no one's asked him. No one's asked him anything. The question's not even on the table. And Jesus looks at him, says, Son, your sins are forgiven. It's amazing. Now, there's chaos going on, and I think as soon as Jesus said that, I think the room got quiet. Because I think everyone just realized something. 
Jesus just claimed to be God. I wonder. People are like, what? What? What did Jesus just say? Did, did Jesus just say that man's sins are forgiven? Did Jesus just claim to be God? He did. Now let's move on to verses 6 through 11. And we're going to see the calloused scribes. And by the way, I like to think, and I believe during all this chaos, Jesus had one big smile on his face. But look at verse 6. Now, that means after he said that, some of the scribes, here we are, were sitting. They're just sitting there in their seats of honor, questioning in their hearts. Get to verse 7. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? From their perspective, he was indeed. It's, it's blasphemy. Look at verse 8. How does Jesus respond? And immediately, there's no time. Paul, Paul's Jesus perceiving in his spirit. Why? Because he's God. That they thus questioned within themselves, said to them. Here's what he says. Why do you question these things in your hearts? And I think Jesus is looking around. Ah, he knows what's going on. Why, why, why are you doing that? Verse 9. Here's what Jesus does. Which is easier? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, and guys, I don't know, I'm still there. I say to you, it's a command. And Jesus, it's command, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The argument is this. What's easier, right? Is it easier to say, get up and walk, or to forgive sins? It's a test, and now he's walking. What could the Pharisees say? Verse 12, we see the crowd's surprise. And he, come on church, rose and immediately he picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Amen. Come on, come on. Amen. What a moment. The paralytic was now leaping, shouting. His friends, his friends, they up on the roof and they yelling and they are shouting. The crowd is erupting. But the Pharisees and the scribes, they frowning, they frowning. What a display, what a display. Who is it to say that this paralytic didn't dance all the way home with his friends behind him and the crowds clapping in rhythm? But don't let it be lost on you. It's an amazing miracle that he can now walk. I don't know the man's whole story, but I do know this. Those legs eventually failed him anyway, and he died. So the greatest miracle wasn't that he was healed. The greatest miracle was that God saved him. That's the greatest miracle. Don't let that be lost on you, because that paralytic right now is in the throne room, right? That's where he's at. His sins were forgiven. The Lord can do anything he wants. He can do anything he pleases. And the greatest miracle is that man's sins were forgiven. Amen.
Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They're about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part, so please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.